Rest of you, if you have a Bible or can get near one, and there are some Bibles scattered underneath the chairs, would you please join me in the book of Revelation? Final book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 2. We are spending the beginning of our summer uh, in these seven messages that Christ sends to seven different churches. And as we have said, these uh, churches are particular churches. They were real congregations, but they're also representative congregations. They are symbolic of the church as a whole throughout all time. And so that these are messages to us. These are Jesus talking uh, to Centerpoint, to the church in Tallahassee. And so would you join me now in Revelation chapter 2? I'm going to pick up in verse 12 and read to verse 17. Revelation 2 verse 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. And to the, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrificed to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Let's pray. Father, once again, would you help us as we come to these words? Would you help us to trust and to believe that they are words from you? And because they are words from you, they are good. They are powerful. They are wise. And they are gifts of life to us. Even when they're strange and difficult and disturbing. And so would you help us this morning, and not just to have understanding as we consider uh, what this text says to us, but also to have the humility, the humble receptiveness to receive your voice, to receive this message, and may it change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One thread that connects all seven of these messages here at the beginning of the book of Revelation is a concern with compromise, a concern about compromise. Uh, Whether these churches are doing well or whether they are struggling, whether they are commended or whether they are confronted or both, as we have in the text this morning, there is an underlying question here throughout all seven of these messages. The underlying question is, will you abandon Jesus? Will you abandon Jesus? Will you reject, walk away from the message about Him, the Gospel, and the life that should result 
from that message? Will you remain with Him or will you leave? And that message isn't just a message for the church in Pergamum. It is a message for the church at all times and in all places. And so it is a message for us here this morning. Will you abandon Jesus, the message about Him, and the life that should result from that message. Now when we think about compromise, we tend to think about the gun-to-your-head moments. Someone threatens violence against you. Are you going to deny Christ, or will you confess Him? We think of those moments, and Pergamum, as a church, had one of those moments. They had a gun-to-your-head moment. Antipas, one of their members, was killed, was martyred, was killed for talking about Jesus. And this church, in response, didn't budge. They stood strong. They were faithful. They didn't back down in the face of fierce and violent opposition. And we love stories like that, don't we? We love stories about uncompromising people. Even if it's non-Christian stories. We, we love the journalist who, who isn't intimidated by a drug cartel. We love the civil rights leader who will go to jail demanding justice. We love Scottish Mel Gibson dying as he cries out, Freedom! We love stories about uncompromising people. And the church in Pergamum was like that. They had their William Wallace moment. They had their heroic movie scene. But the movie kept playing. The movie, the credits didn't roll with that heroic scene. It kept Going And Jesus now says, I have a few things against you. You are still in danger of walking away. Even though you heroically stood strong, you are now in danger of compromising. And in doing this, Jesus reveals a force that in some ways is more powerful than the gun-to-your-head moment. He reveals a pressure on our faith, a pressure pushing us away from Him that is subtle, but in some ways stronger than the direct threat of violence. So, two questions about compromise for us this morning. What causes it and what prevents it? First of all, what causes it? Balaam does. Balaam causes compromise. Now, Balaam was a preacher for hire back in the day when God's people were wandering around the wilderness about to enter the land that he had promised to them. And there was an enemy king named Balak. He was the king of Moab. And he saw Israel coming, and he saw them as a threat, but he had heard the news reports from Egypt. And he knew that he would not win 
in a military fight against this people. And so he chose a religious route. He hired Balaam. And he says, Balaam, I want you to preach judgment on God's people. I want you to announce a curse on the people of God. And in Numbers 22 to 24, there is a series of humorous attempts by Balaam to do that, all thwarted by God, in one case by a talking donkey. But in chapter 25, there is a dramatic change. All of a sudden, God who stopped Balaam from judging God's people, God is now judging his people. He is pouring out a curse on his people, a violent curse on them. Why? Well, some Moabite women had come into the camp of Israel, invited Israelite men to a party. And it was a party celebrating Moabite gods. And the men of Israel compromised. Numbers says they bowed down and they ate. And they committed sexual immorality. They compromised and brought the judgment of God on the people. But how did that happen? How did that situation come about? Well, Numbers 31 tells us that it was Balaam's plan. Balaam came up with this idea. He trained these Moabite women to become party invitations to compromise. And God says, Jesus says to the church in Pergamum, that's happening in your community. He says to us, that can happen in your community. The force, not of fear, but of desire. The pressure away from faithfulness, not from being scared of violence, but from being hungry. From having appetite. It's this message. This message was in Pergamum and continues to pop up throughout Christian history. It is the message that Jesus is good, but not enough. That you have some needs. You have some wants that you need to meet. Maybe from other sources. And maybe by ignoring or adjusting some things that Jesus has said about God, about you, about how we should live. The force to compromise is the force of appetite. So, let's say that you are a medical professional in person. And to maintain your license to practice medicine there, you had to belong to a government-approved guild. And, and let's say to, to, to remain in that guild, you are expected to attend the annual conference of the medical guild in Pergamum. And the central event of that conference was a lavish dinner party thrown in honor of Asclepius. <coughs> The God of healing in the Roman and Greek pantheon. And the food at that party, it was meat from animals that had been sacrificed, celebrating and appealing to Asclepius for help. 
And you're a Christian, you've been converted to Jesus who tells you that there is only one true God and you are to worship Him and Him alone. And so what do you do? Well, you go to your Sunday school teacher at church and you say, what should I do? And your Sunday school teacher says, well, I know what the Bible says, but this is your career we're talking about. This could ruin your career to not go to this event and not sit down at that table. could be career suicide. And you've got to provide for your family. And, and I know what Jesus says, but, but I, I think Jesus wants you to be successful. I think He wants you to be happy in your life. And, and I, I think you know maybe you could gain some influence. You could get on the party planning co- committee and you could actually make some good changes. If you do this, do you see how subtle? Do you see how subtle this pressure is? How subtle, but how effective the draw of appetite away from faithfulness to the message about Jesus and the life that should result from that message. And notice these tempting appetites. They're not just appetites for food and sex. That's certainly in play. But at the heart, there is an appetite for acceptance. There is an appetite for status, for influence, for comfort, for just being normal in your city, in your culture. This all reminds me of a song by the band Wilco. The song starts by saying, When the devil came, he was not red, he was chrome. And he said, Come with me. And later the song says, I was welcomed with open arms, and I felt like I belonged, and I felt no fear. That's the appetite. That's the seduction of acceptance. Compromise happens more often not as the result of the direct threat of violence, but the indirect seduction of acceptance. The indirect seduction of our deep longings, our deep hungers, appetites as human beings. The enemy comes to us not red and threatening, but chrome, shiny and safe, saying, come with me. Come with me. Right? Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. How does the serpent come? The serpent doesn't come with fangs bared, guns blazing. He comes with questions about appetizing food. Did God God really say you weren't supposed to eat that? I happen to know if you do eat that, you'll get something you want. You'll get something that you are hungering for. You will get a knowledge. You will get a status you are longing for. So we 
we need to ask ourselves some searching questions. We need to ask ourselves, what are we willing to give up in order to get a seat at the table? In order to get a seat at the table of influence in our careers, in our culture, on campus, in our relationships. What clear beliefs and practices given to us by Scripture are we willing to set aside, ignore, or adjust in order to seem normal, in order to have success, in order to have stability, in our lives. Now, listen, this isn't a call for withdrawal. Notice that Jesus doesn't say to any of these churches. He doesn't say, leave the city. He doesn't say, walk away from your culture. He doesn't say, walk away from your vocations. He doesn't say, you are not to be involved in the cultural life around you. This is not a call for withdrawal. This is a call to the very difficult work of figuring out what it means to be in, but not of the world. To stay where God has placed us. Figure out what it means to live faithful. Even when it hurts. Even when there is a cost. Now, How do we do that? How do we remain faithful with this subtle but powerful draw on our lives? Second question. What prevents compromise? If appetite causes compromise, what prevents it? Well, there's a sword here, right? There's a a sword that should motivate us. Jesus is threatening here with a sword, but I want you to notice where the sword is. Normally a sword would be held by the hand, right? But not Jesus. The sword comes from his mouth. So see, we are dealing with the power of the word of Jesus. We're dealing with the power of his words and the necessity of our attention to those words. Let's talk about Balaam again. Remember Balaam? You remember his talking donkey? Do you remember why that donkey is speaking? It's because Balaam was on his way to the job interview with Balak. And and his mode of transportation was the donkey. And, and his transportation just stopped. It fell apart on him in the middle of the road. The donkey refused to go any further. And so Balaam did what one does. And he started to beat the donkey. And he's beating the donkey. And he can't get the donkey to move. And finally the donkey turns around and says, Dude, stop hitting me. <laughs> he says, Can't you see standing right in front of us is an angel with an unsheathed sword. The word of Jesus is more powerful than a sword that can make a donkey talk. 
The Word of Jesus is more powerful than that angel preventing Balaam from cursing God's people. And not only that, when when Balaam insisted on taking this job, every time he opened his mouth to preach, every time he opened his mouth to announce judgment on God's people, God's Word overpowered him, and all he could talk about was blessing. And, And all he could talk about was promise. And actually, Balaam makes some of the greatest promises about the Messiah in all of the Old Testament. Words that we hear every year at Christmas. A star from Jacob come forth. Jesus is not only the fulfillment of those promises, He is that overpowering Word of God. A word of judgment, yes on those who will resist Him, but also a word of blessing and promise. So what prevents compromise? Attention to the Word of Jesus. Attention to His Word of judgment and attention to His Word of blessing and promise. And so, with me, will you attend to verse 17? Will you notice how Jesus addresses His promise to hungry people? Will you notice how Jesus addresses blessing to people with a deep appetite for acceptance? He says, I will give you some of the hidden manna, which wasn't only the daily provision of God to His people wandering in the wilderness. This was that manna that they preserved and and put in a jar and put in the Ark of the Covenant and put that in the most holy place in the tabernacle and the temple as close to God as one could get. It's that bread that He promises to us. And then this white stone with a name on it, there are, there are several options for interpreting this one. White stones were used as invitations. They were used as party invitations in the ancient world. White stones were also used in judicial proceedings as a vote for acquittal, a vote for innocence. But I think Both of those are possible and are included here in this imagery, but I think we're back at the Old Testament temple where the priests ministered in the presence of God wearing jewels, wearing precious stones with names carved on them. The names of the tribes of Israel. And they did that, according to Exodus 28, they did that in order to bear the names of Israel before the Lord. That's what Jesus promises us. That's how He blesses us. Do you hear what He is saying? He is saying, you will be invited to a better party. You will be welcomed to a better table. You will sit down and be fed 
table of God. In His very presence. Jesus is saying, I will address your deepest appetites, your most profound hungers. I will feed them. Faithfulness happens when we attend to those words. We are prevented from compromise when we attend to that message. But here's the problem. Here's why that's really difficult. We have to be honest. Did you hear me talking in the future tense? Jesus says you will be invited. You will be fed. Which means we have to live waiting for it. It means as Christians, we live in that late afternoon hour when you think you are going to die of starvation, but it's not dinner time yet. That's our lives as Christians. A few months ago, my wife and I attempted the Whole30 diet. Emphasis on the word attempted. And uh, it's one of those things where, you, you know, for 30 days you take out all these bad things. Sugar and, and grains and, and, and things like that. And I, I said to my wife at some point, you know what, I think the key to this thing is just being okay with feeling hungry a lot of the time. <laughs> that is essential to Christian faithfulness. It is the ability to feel hungry and to entrust Jesus with it. We talk about being satisfied in Jesus, being satisfied in God. And I think for some of us that creates a false expectation. It creates the expectation that we are going to have the perfect quiet time, one time, out in the woods, and we are going to feel full for the rest of our lives. We're going to be satisfied. We'll never feel hunger. We'll never feel longing. We'll never feel disappointment, dissatisfaction. No, that is not the message of the New Testament of Scripture to us as Christians. Jesus says, if you're going to live faithful to me, you're going to have to learn to live hungry and entrust me with that. You're going to have to learn to live with that discomfort, with that unease, even that dissatisfaction. St. Augustine famously said, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in You. And that is good. That is a beautiful statement. And it, and it speaks truly to what the Bible says about human desire. But Augustine said something else later in his life. He says to be on the way of salvation is to live disquieted within. He learned that that rest, it's a not yet rest. We get taste of it. We get moments of it. But we don't get it in full for now. And we have to live waiting. We need to learn to live hungry. Entrusting ourselves to the Word of Jesus. So a concern about compromise is a concern about appetite. The question, will you abandon 
Jesus is the question, what will you do with your hunger? What will you do with your longing to be accepted? So where will you go with your hunger this week? Where will you go with your desires this week? Will you go to the myriad of false options presented to us by the world around us? Or will you go to the one whose body was broken to become bread for you? To become manna sent from heaven for you? Will you go to the one who died, who rose, who ascended in order to extend to us the invitation to a better feast, a better party, God's own table where all of our profound hungers will be fed by the Lamb was slain for us. Let's pray.